Welcome to Christian Assembly, a family church. Since 1930, we've been serving the communities of Western Pennsylvania, Ohio, and West Virginia with the good news of Jesus Christ. With over 40 years of Bible teaching and ministry experience, Pastor Bill brings faith-filled revelation from God's Word. We believe with you, wherever you are, that God will inspire and change your life through the following teaching. For more information about Christian Assembly, follow us on social media or visit our website at cafamily.net. Today I want to get into this subject of healing because I believe it's absolutely necessary for all of us. It's called Healing is Good. That's going to be the name or the title of our message this morning. So let's pray and get right into the teaching of God's Word. Father, we just thank you so much for the word that you've sent us to give us a revelation of your heart, your mind, and your will toward each and every one of us. We thank you that as we study it together this morning, you give us ears to hear it accurately, hearts to receive it, minds to be open to it, and more than anything, change us by what we hear from glory to glory as we humble ourselves before you and your holy written word. I believe for utterance in the Holy Ghost, to proclaim truth with power and demonstration, unction to function, that you, dear Father God, would be glorified in all that is said and all that is done. And as always, we'll give you all the praise that you deserve for all things in Jesus' wonderful and matchless name. Amen. Praise God and amen. Acts 10.38 is going to be our opening text. It says how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Ghost and with power, who went about doing good and healing some... Um, all that were oppressed of the devil, for God was with him. Notice it says all, not just some. I selected this verse of scripture because I believe it's one of the most informative verses in the Bible when it comes to the subject of divine healing and health. And so what I'd like to do this morning, if we can get through all this, is to break it apart uh, statement by statement to give us a revelation of uh, different things that Peter was trying to convey to the house of Cornelius as he began to preach the gospel to them. And the first thing is, he said, number one, God the Father anointed Jesus the Son with the Holy Ghost and with power. Notice, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Ghost, all three were involved in bringing healing and health to the people on the earth. So we see we have the unity of the Trinity joining themselves together to accomplish this wonderful work of healing. And Peter was trying to convey that to the house of Cornelius to let them know that God is concerned about our entire well-being, not just in spirit, but also in soul and in body. And as a result, of course, all three of them joined forces to accomplish it. Now think about this. The father had the plan, and the plan was for health. It's his health care plan for humanity. Jesus had his part to play in it as well. Now, we understand the Trinity is hard and difficult to understand, but let's just accept it for what it says and what it is. Jesus had his part to play. He had to come to the earth, and he had to bear our sin and sickness and carry our pains on the tree. And with the stripes he bore, we're told we are healed. So in other words, there was something that he had to do. So the Father planned it out. Jesus carried it out. And then the Holy Ghost is the one who makes it a reality in everybody's life. Remember Romans 8, 11? It's the Spirit that raised Jesus from the dead, who dwells in us to quicken our mortal bodies and give them life and health. So we see the unity of the Trinity at work to accomplish this goal. Well, can you imagine if Jesus said, well, I want them to have healing, but I don't want to bear the stripes. And let's just say he had a different attitude about it. 
Well, a house divided can't possibly stand. And so therefore, they had to uh, make a decision. They were going to come together and work on this thing together, it's, which is exactly what they did. So we see something here. There's power in unity. And that's what I want to stress first and foremost. There is power in unity. We're told in scriptures, if one can chase a thousand, two can put 10,000 to flight. A threefold cord is not easily broken. So in other words, it's not just the Godhead coming together in unity. It's people coming together in unity as well. That does what? Creates an atmosphere in which God can really move in a powerful way. As a matter of fact, I'm going to share three quick things about what unity does among the people of God. First of all, unity enables us to achieve our goals and our dreams. Makes it a whole lot easier for us to accomplish those things we want to accomplish in life. In the book of Genesis, in chapter 11, we have a revelation of this. And the whole earth was of one language and of one speech. And it came to pass as they journeyed from the east and they found a plain in the land of Shinar. And they dwelt there and they said one to another, go to let us make brick and burn them thoroughly. And they had brick for stone and slime they had for mortar. And they said, go to let us build us a city and a tower whose top may reach unto heaven. And let us make us a name, lest we be scattered abroad upon the face of the whole earth. And the Lord came down to see the city and the tower, which the children of men had builded. And the Lord said, Behold, the people is one, and they have all one language, and this they begin to do. And now nothing, notice nothing, nothing what? Nothing will be restrained from them, which they have imagined to do. Go to, let us go down, and there confound their language, that they may not understand one another's speech. So the Lord scattered them abroad that, uh, from thence upon the face of all the earth, and they left off to build a city. Therefore is the name of the, if it called Babel, because the Lord did there confound the language of all the earth. And from thence did the Lord scatter them abroad upon the face of all the earth. So the first thing we see here is that even when it comes to doing something that's evil or against the will of God, God himself said if they're unified, if they come together in unity, there's nothing that will be restrained from them. They're going to be able to do whatever they want to do. And so we got to do something to get down there to do what? Bring division among them. How important it is for us to recognize the fact that unity makes it easier for us to accomplish our goals and dreams. But division makes it very difficult for us to accomplish anything. As a matter of fact, we're seeing a lot taking place in this world today. We see in our own nation how there's unrest and there's division. And of course, we're supposed to be united. Aren't we the United States of America? But we can see the uh, objective of the enemy is to bring division among the people of God, even among the people of our nation. Why? So that his purposes can be fulfilled. Well, we need to recognize this even when it comes to us as a church body, whether it's a family or whatever. When people are in unity and they come together, it's easier for them to accomplish their goals and dreams. And so at a time like this, when we're facing difficult situations, what's important is for us to unite together in faith and by faith, believe God for all the people that have been challenged so that we can have the help of God, the power of God in manifestation to bring victory. The second thing we see is found in 2 Chronicles 5, 11 through 14. I'm not going to take the time to read it all, but I want to highlight something here. We see here a revelation that when people are united and they're in unity, we are told here 
that God's power is manifestation. As a matter of fact, his glory appeared among the people. They were of one heart, one mind, one accord. They were purified. They were unified. And also set apart and separated for this work of God. And as they began to lift up their voice to God in one accord, coming together in harmony, the Bible says the glory fell. Filled the whole place where they were. And they couldn't even stand by reason of the cloud of God's presence. So not only do we see that it makes it easier to achieve our goals, we also see it makes a highway for God to move among the people. And then thirdly, it creates a force the enemy can't penetrate. Let's look at Ecclesiastes chapter 4 and verse 12. Let's see what it says. And if one prevail against him, two shall withstand him, and a threefold cord is not easily broken. What's he saying? When people come together and unite themselves together, it's hard for the enemy to penetrate that. And so it's important that we as believers understand this principle and recognize the fact that if the God had to be in unity to accomplish the purposes and the goals that the Father had for us, then the people of God need to be in unity as well so that God's purposes can be fulfilled among us and we can achieve our goals. And we can establish, let's say, a force that the enemy cannot penetrate. That's why it's important for just two people to be in unity. Three people to come together in unity. And then a congregation to come together in unity, as well as a nation come together in unity. And as a result, praise God, we can't be divided. As a matter of fact, remember Jesus said, a house divided against itself cannot stand. Even if Satan is against himself, when they accused him of casting out devils by Beelzebub, the prince of the devils, Jesus said, if he's doing that, his kingdom can't stand. Why? Because it would be divided. So it's important for us to see that. Look at Psalms 133. Here, um, the psalm writer recognizes the power and importance of unity as well. Behold how good and pleasant it is for a brethren to dwell together in unity. It is like the precious ointment upon the head that ran down upon the beard, even Aaron's beard, that went down to the skirts of his garments, and the dew of Hermon, as the dew of Hermon, and as the dew that descended upon the mountains of Zion, for there, notice there, there the Lord. If you were here, I'd say, say there. There the Lord commanded the blessing. Notice, commanded the blessing, even life evermore. You see, it's when God's people come together in unity and God sees the unity, he commands a blessing to be upon the people. And I believe just as his beard was uh, experiencing the, the anointing, which basically stands for the anointing oil of the Holy Spirit of Almighty God and the glory of God, that when people come together and they're of one heart, one mind, one accord, then praise God, God's presence will manifest, God's glory will manifest. And remember a very important scripture in the book of Hebrews chapter 11, I believe it's verse 6, that tells us that when we come to God, we must believe that he is and that he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. In other words, we're seeking his presence, not the things that he does. We're seeking the healer, not the healing. The savior, we're seeking the baptizer. We're seeking the one who makes provision for, us, for all of us. And so God wants us to, by faith, seek him above anything and everything else. And so coming together is so important to recognize and realize 
that our goal is to seek his face. Our goal is to experience his presence. Our goal should be to have him manifest himself among us to help us navigate through all the challenges that we face in this life. And so remember, when people come together, what does God do? He commands a blessing to be upon the people. Now remember this, who God blesses cannot be cursed, we're told in Scripture. And so if God says, I command a blessing upon that congregation, I command a blessing upon that household, I command a blessing upon that nation, then praise God, we'll be blessed. That's why if you bless Israel, you'll be blessed. If you curse Israel, you'll put yourself under a curse. And so it's important we recognize this is how God operates. Now the next thing I'm going to point out is that uh, Jesus himself didn't act alone. He, he didn't act as God either when he was here upon the earth. Now, you might find that a little bit strange to say, but even though he was God, he didn't act as God. You know why? Because Jesus, if he was acting as God, would not have been anointed. He wouldn't need to be anointed. Why would God need to be anointed to do anything? We understand in Scripture that Jesus set aside his mighty power and glory. He operated as a man, as a prophet under the old covenant. And he had to be anointed. And when he got baptized in water, we know he was anointed by the Spirit of God who came upon him. And so he operated that way. Why? Because he was, as a man, the second Adam here upon this earth to accomplish the goal of salvation and redemption for all mankind. Okay, so first part we see is this. God anointed Jesus with the Holy Ghost and power. He had to be anointed because he wasn't acting as God. He was acting as a man under the old covenant. And they were in unity. It's their desire because Jesus came to do the Father's will. He made that will known to mankind. And he accomplished the purpose. So that's number one. Number two, he went about doing good. Notice, he went about doing good. God is good and all evil can be traced back, not to, to, to God, but to the fall of man. We understand that everything that God created was good. It was actually very good, he said, when he saw the works of his hands. And he said, he rested from his works. This is my will. This is what I want done. Everything was perfect in every way. The only thing that wasn't good was that man be alone. So, of course, he brought forth the woman. And then he was satisfied with all that and said, it's all very good. In the book of James, chapter 1, verses 16 and 17, we have these uh, scriptures. Do not err. Or do not be deceived, my beloved brethren. Now notice, every good gift and every perfect gift is from above and comes down from the Father of lights, with whom there's no variableness, neither shadow of turning. Notice he starts off by saying to these people that were scattered abroad, experiencing difficult situations in their lives, don't be in error, don't be deceived. They were blaming God for the evil they were experiencing in their lives. Somehow attributing it to God. This must be God doing this. Well, nothing could be further from the truth. God was not the force that was behind the temptations, the trials, the difficulties that these people were experiencing in their lives. Why? Because God is good. And he said, don't be deceived. Every good and perfect gift comes from above. Sickness and disease is not good. We understand that. Poverty is not good. We understand that pain is not good. We can list all kinds of things. Uh, that's not good. But we understand that God is not the one who's the author of those things. As a matter of fact, Jesus said, it's the thief that comes to steal, kill, and destroy. I came to give you life and that more abundantly. And so it's important that we don't align ourselves even with insurance companies that tell us, well, that was an act of God. It was an earthquake or a flood or a tornado or a hurricane. And they'll say, act of God, we don't cover it. Well, it was not an act of God. 
Well, then what was it an act of? The fall of man. You can't even attribute it to the devil. It was the fall of man. The effect of the fall of man upon our earth and upon society going back to the very beginning. The enemy opened up the door to the enemy, yes, but he opened up the door to all kind of devastation that took place from the very beginning. And we see it happening from the very beginning. Murder with Cain and Abel, starting from there, right on down to where the heart of man was so wicked that God had to cause a flood to come upon the earth. God wasn't the force behind that. The enemy was. And so, once again, we understand that sickness and disease does not come from God for any reason. If he has to lift his hand at judgment and then people become sick, it's not an act of God. It is, once again, an judgment that comes upon people as a result of rebellion or disobedience. And so, what did Jesus go about doing? Good. So, Jesus was anointed with the Holy Ghost and power, and Jesus went about doing good. And we understand what the good is in a moment. We'll get to that. But notice the next statement in that Acts 10.38. Healing all. Not some. Not a few. But healing all. Now remember, I'm saying that this verse is so important to us. Because it's so informative. It, remember this. The Bible is progressive revelation. That means we have a little bit of light in the Old Testament. We have a greater light in the New Testament. It's like the moon and the sun. We've got the greater light, this greater revelation. And Peter is preaching in the house of a Gentile and telling him these words. God anointed Jesus of Nazareth. That speaks of his humanity, Jesus of Nazareth. Whenever you hear Jesus, it's humanity. Christ is divinity. He, healed, he, he anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Ghost and power. Why? To go about and do good. Why? Because God is good. And notice, healing all. No one was left out. When Jesus walked upon the earth, not one person was left out. As a matter of fact, if you think about this, what kind of facility that you can go to, a healthcare facility, can boast these numbers? Everyone who comes here is healed. Wouldn't that be a great place to go? Wonderful place to be in, wouldn't it? Well, they can't boast that because they can't do that. But Jesus healed them all. Look at Matthew 4, 23-25. These verses speak so much to my heart. Because when I first got saved and read these verses of Scripture, I was on my knees in tears and thanking Jesus for loving us so much to provide healing. Look at the words. And Jesus went about all Galilee, teaching in their synagogues and preaching the gospel of the kingdom and healing all manner of sickness and all manner of disease among the people and his fame went throughout all Syria and they brought unto him notice all sick people that were taken with diverse diseases and torments and those which were possessed with devils and those which were lunatic and those that had the palsy and he healed them and there followed him great multitudes of people from Galilee and from Decapolis and from Jerusalem, and from Judea, and from beyond Jordan. Wow. Imagine the success that Jesus had when they brought all these people, the multitudes of people with all these different conditions. And it says, all manner of sickness, all manner of disease among the people, and he healed them all. And remember, he was the will of God in motion. He came to do the Father's will. He said, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. And that just spoke to my heart so much that Jesus cares about us that much. Well, when he came down from the mountain, look at uh, chapter 8 and beginning at verse 1. He got done teaching the Sermon on the Mount, the greatest sermon ever taught. 
He healed all these people. And waiting for him at the bottom of the mountain was a leper. Let's read it first. When it's come down from the mountain, great multitudes followed him. And behold, there came a leper and worshipped him, saying, Lord, if thou wilt, thou canst make me clean. And Jesus put forth his hand and touched him, saying, I will be thou clean. And immediately his leprosy was cleansed. Now this particular uh, leper was practicing social distancing. He was staying away from everybody else because he knew he was supposed to. But when he got close, when Jesus came down, he called out to him. Obviously giving people time to back off and stay away. But he just wanted to appeal to Jesus. And what happened? Jesus didn't hesitate. He said, if you can, never question God's ability. It does not take a lot of faith to say God can do anything because we know he can. But he questioned his willingness. He said, if you will, you can make me whole. I know you can, but I just don't know your will. You know what? Jesus came and said, I came to do the Father's will. Notice he didn't sit him down and have an interview and just say, what evil thing have you done in your life? What bad thing did you do? He said, I will. Be thou cleansed. And immediately his leprosy was cleansed. If that doesn't establish the will of God, I don't know what does. But as we read on in Matthew's gospel, what do we find out? He then healed the centurion's son. And how about this one? This guy just says, you don't have to come over my house. I'm a Gentile. You don't even need to come into my house. But Jesus was willing to do it. But he said, just speak the word. And my servant will be healed. Because I'm a man under authority. I say to this one, go. And he goes. And I say to this one, do this. And he does. I say one, come. It doesn't matter because I understand authority. And Jesus marveled at this man's faith and said, then be it unto you according to your will. And he was healed in the selfsame hour. And it didn't stop there. Matthew then goes on and talks about Peter's mother-in-law who had a fever and was lying so sickly of a fever. Jesus came and touched her and she was immediately healed. And you know, someone once said, if, if he'll heal Peter's mother-in-law or anybody's mother-in-law, he'll heal anybody. I didn't say it. Someone else said it. But we go on and what do we read then? After these healings take place, Matthew records these next two verses, which are so impacting. Verses 16 and 17 in chapter 8 and says this. When the even was come, they brought unto him many that were possessed with devils, and he cast out the spirits with his word and healed all, notice all, that were sick, that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by Isaiah the prophet, saying himself took our infirmities and bare our sicknesses. Who took them, he did. Who bore them, he did. He did that in fulfillment of the prophecy that Isaiah gave, saying that he would, on that tree, bear our sin, sickness, and carry our pain. Then look at chapter 9 and verse 35. I'm going to watch just a little bit of through this because it's so impacting when you put it all together this verse says and jesus went about all the cities and villages teaching in their synagogues preaching the gospel of the kingdom and healing every sickness and every disease among the people imagine this if you were there no one has ever done this before they had a lot of preaching and teaching in their synagogues but no one has ever ever gone like jesus did into their villages their cities their synagogues and healed every person that was there. Can you imagine the health of the people during that particular time? No wonder why they were attracted to him. Because he, they knew he cared about them. Then look at chapter 10 and verse 1 of Matthew. Once again, all together in Matthew. And when he had called unto him 12 disciples, he gave them power against unclean spirits to cast them out. And to heal all manner of sickness and all manner of disease. Look at chapter 12 and verse 15. 
But when Jesus knew it, he withdrew himself from thence, and great multitudes, not a multitude, but now great multitudes followed him, and he healed them all. Man, if this doesn't inspire faith, what does? Look at chapter 14, verse 14, because we have the motivation here revealed to us. And Jesus went forth and saw a great multitude and was moved with compassion toward them. Not to prove his deity. He was moved with compassion toward them. And he healed their sick. And then chapter 15, and this is just amazing what takes place here. If you recall the Syrophoenician woman, the Canaanite woman, she comes to him and just says, I need help. My daughter's lying. My daughter's grievously torn into this devil. And of course, he says, it's not right for me to give the children's bread to the dogs, meaning that the children have a covenant right of healing, but you don't. And she said, that's true, but dogs who need crumbs. And he said, well, woman, great is your faith. You're absolutely right. So be it unto you. And because of that saying, the devil went out of her daughter and the daughter was completely healed of this demonic influence that wreaked havoc with her life. Well, after that, look at this. Great multitudes came unto him, having with them those that were lame, blind, dumb, maimed, meaning body parts that were not formed completely or even severed, and many others. And we don't hear about the many others, what they had going on in their lives. And cast them down at Jesus' feet on top of a mountain. wonder how long it was to get up to the top of the mountain. But he healed them. Insomuch that the multitude wondered when they saw the dumb to speak, the maimed to behold, the lame to walk, the blind to see, and they glorified the God of Israel. This is only Matthew's account of the things he was an eyewitness to that Jesus did with compassion in the lives of all these multitudes of people. And Jesus said, my father anointed me to do good and to heal all that were oppressed of the devil. So here we have it. Jesus himself carrying out the Father's plan, the unity of the Godhead, the Trinity, in helping people. But there's something important I want to add to this. Look in John's Gospel, chapter 20. Because why is Matthew so concentrating on all these people that are being healed? Could it be we need to hear this all the time? To develop the kind of faith that we need in God to be healed, to receive our healing. John's Gospel, chapter 20. And many other signs truly did Jesus in the presence of his disciples, which are not written in this book. But these are written that you might believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. And that believing you might have life through his name. Look, they weren't done for that. They were written for that. They were done because of compassion. They were done because of God's love, care, and concern for hurting humanity. But you see, they were written for us to believe. Look at chapter 21, verse 24 and 25. This is the disciple which testifies of these things and wrote these things, and we know that his testimony is true. And there are also many other things which Jesus did, the which, if they should be written, every one, I suppose that even the world itself could not contain the books that should be written amen imagine that the testimonies that we just went over in matthew's gospel were a small part of what jesus did they were handpicked by the holy spirit to reveal to us the heart of god toward humanity and they were written so that we would believe that jesus indeed was 
the Messiah. You know, if you recall the story when John was thrown into prison, we are told that he sent his disciples to Jesus and say, are you the Messiah or should we look for another? And what did Jesus tell John's disciples to go back and tell him when he was in prison? Go back and tell, the, tell John what you've seen. How the lame walk, the blind see, the deaf hear, the maimed are made whole, and even the dead have been raised. And blessed is he who is not offended in me. So in other words, Jesus was saying, all these things that you see testify to who I am. Now I did them because of hurting humanity, but they testify to who I am. It's never been seen on this fashion ever before. If you recall, the blind man said to the Jews that were badgering him with questions, look, has it ever been ever seen that a man born blind would ever be healed? Have you, you know that throughout history? Absolutely not. And yet this man opened up my eyes and you don't know who he is? They got mad at him, angry with him and said, who do you think you are? You were born in sin. How can you teach us? They were so full of pride and arrogance they had no room for any revelation of the truth. But you see, Jesus did these things because he was anointed of the Father to carry out the purpose of helping hurting humanity. So no matter what we're going through, there's help for us in him. Finally, or fourthly, I should say, notice this. Oppressed of the devil. God anointed Jesus of Nazareth, the Holy Ghost and power, who went about doing good, healing all that were oppressed of the devil. Now here's that revelation. Here's that information that we need. They were oppressed of the devil. In other words, he is saying that sickness and disease is satanic oppression. It is not God-ordained. It's satanic oppression. It's demonic bondage. As a matter of fact, we have to understand the way God views it. That, that is sickness and disease and how God views healing. Look at Luke's gospel, chapter 13. And in this chapter, we have a revelation of a woman that had what we believe rheumatoid arthritis bowed over could not lift up herself so she's walking around bowed over can't even lift up her eyes to see where she's going he was teaching in one of the synagogues and on the sabbath and behold there was a woman which had a spirit of infirmity 18 years and was bowed together and could not in, in no wise lift up herself when jesus saw her he called her to him and said unto her now notice this, this is a statement woman thou art loose from thine infirmity and he laid his hands on her and immediately she was made straight and glorified god and the ruler of the synagogue, now here he is, answered with indignation because that Jesus had healed on the Sabbath day. Oh, shame on him. And said to the people, there are six days in which men ought to work and them therefore come and be healed and not on the Sabbath day. The Lord then answered him and said, how about these two words? You hypocrite. That's one thing coming from other people. But when it's coming from the Son of God, your Savior, and says, you hypocrite, doesn't each one of you on the Sabbath loose his ox or his ass from the stall and lead him away to watering? Ought not this woman? Now notice this. Being a daughter of Abraham with a covenant right, whom Satan hath bound. Notice this. Satan had her bound. Lo, these 18 years be loosed from this bond on the Sabbath day. So what is this thing that she had? Bondage. Satanic bondage. Satan had her bound for 18 years. And when he said these things, 
all his adversaries were what? Ashamed. Because he said the truth. You see, this wasn't a luxury. No, this was a necessity. This was a rescue. And all the people rejoiced for all the glorious things that were done by him. So here Jesus views this as a necessity, just like water is a necessity, food is a necessity. He said, look, this rescue is a necessity, not a luxury. That's how he viewed it. Look at chapter 14 and the first few verses, one through six. This is God's view of sickness and disease and God's view of healing. It came to pass as he went into the house of one of the chief, chief Pharisees to eat bread on the Sabbath day that they watched him. And behold, there was a certain man before him which had the dropsy. And Jesus answering spake unto the lawyers and Pharisees saying, Is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath day? And they held their peace. They would never answer that question. They were afraid to. And so he took him and healed him and let him go. And answered them saying, even though they didn't say anything, Which of you shall have an ass or an ox fall into a pit and will not straightway pull him out on the Sabbath day? And they could not answer him again to these things. What was he saying? Healing is a rescue. Healing is a necessity. Sickness is a bondage. Sickness is satanic oppression. You see, light and darkness. Good and evil. What's right and what's wrong. And so once again, Jesus is making it very clear. Look at chapter, well, we saw 13. Look at that verse 16 again. Let's, let's bring that up again. He heals, he feels that healing is a covenant right to the people of God. And ought not this woman being a daughter of Abraham? That speaks of covenant. Covenant is so essential. That's how God deals with mankind through covenant because he lets them know exactly the parameters in which he's going to operate and function with regard to man. This woman is a part of the Abrahamic covenant. And Satan has no right to have her bound for any length of time. And that's exactly who was doing it. So it's a covenant right. Now we go back to the book of Exodus, and I think this is essential to bring out at this time because so many deny this, but yet we have types and shadows throughout the scriptures that reveal these things to us. Here in Exodus, they come to the bitter waters of Mara. They can't drink the water. They're thirsty because why? It's poisonous. It's going to kill them if they drink it. So Moses brought uh, Israel from the Red Sea, and they went out into the wilderness of Shur, and they went three days in the wilderness and found no water, and that's not good. And when they came to, the, uh, to Mara, they could not drink of the waters of Marah. Why? Because they were bitter. Therefore, the name of it was called Marah, which means bitter. And the people murmured against Moses, saying, isn't that convenient? What shall we drink? And he cried to the Lord, and the Lord showed him a tree. What did he show him? A tree. Hmm, why a tree? What's the tree stand for? Who hung on a tree? Who died on a tree? On the cross. Which, when he had cast into the waters... When the tree was cast into the bitter waters of Marah, they were made sweet. There he made a, for them a statute and an ordinance, and there he proved them and said, notice this, if you will diligently hearken to the voice of the Lord thy God and will do that which is right in his sight and will give ear to his commandments and keep his statutes, I will put none of these diseases upon thee or allow to come upon you these diseases which I have brought or allowed to come upon the Egyptians. For I am Jehovah Rapha, the Lord that heals you. Notice the cross came first. Then the covenant of healing came. Notice on the cross, it says that Jesus bore our sickness and carried our pains. 
The cross comes first. And then we have the covenant of healing in the New Testament, which is a better covenant with better promises. So God has revealed himself, even in the covenant, that healing belongs to us. I don't know if you ever heard this story. You discover these things uh, as you study, and you wonder exactly how accurate they are, but you could look it up for yourself. The Empress Helena, uh, mother of uh, Constantine, the emperor, she had a desire to find the true cross of Christ, and so she journeyed to Jerusalem where she was on a, a journey, a mission, where she was going to find the true cross of Christ. And once again, tradition says it, if you want to say legend or whatever, but it's written, it's recorded, it could be true, I'm not certain, and I'm not being dogmatic about it. But you know what it says? She went there and she found the three crosses. It's like, you know, archaeologists' discoveries and, and, and all that. And when she saw these three crosses, she believed that those were the three. They believed that those were the three where Jesus died and the two others died, one on one side, one on the other side. And she said, you know what? I don't know which one is his, but bring me a leper. And they got a leper and asked the leper to touch the one. Of course, they kept their distance, but touch that one cross. Nothing happened. Touch that cross. Nothing happened. Supposedly, when she touched the third cross, his leprosy immediately was healed. He was completely whole. And she said, that's the cross of Christ. So you see, there's so much for us to see. God revealing himself to us in different ways. There was another man who was um, dying of cancer. He was in just like a skeleton with flesh pulled up over him. That's how far it was. He was so far gone. Someone came along and told him, celebrate the Lord's Supper every day. Every day, celebrate the Lord's Supper. Because you see, that's our covenant meal. And there's healing in the covenant. And acknowledge that by his stripes you were healed. And within a few short weeks, this man went from dying to his kidneys beginning to function again correctly, to cancer completely leaving his body because he celebrated the covenant meal, which we call the Lord's Supper. Finally, number five, and we'll close with this. It says God was with him. God was with him. Notice, not the devil, not anything evil, but God was with him. So God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Ghost and power who went about doing good, healing all that were oppressed of the devil because God was with him. In the book of Psalms 103, scriptures that just kind of solidified it for me way back in the day when I began first teaching on this subject, when someone challenged me and just said, you know, you don't know that God wants to heal everybody's diseases. I said, well, okay, I didn't even know this verse back then, but the Lord showed it to me. And so let's read it and see what it says. Bless the Lord, all my soul, and all that is within me. Bless his holy name. Bless the Lord, all my soul, and forget not all. I love that word all, don't you? His benefits, who forgives all thine iniquities, who heals all thy diseases. All. Notice the word all there again. But notice this. A benefit is a condition of a contract. It's a revelation that God has made provision for us. It's included in our package, you could say. And it's part of our rights as children of God. He forgives all our sins. No one challenges that. He heals all our diseases is also included in our package. Look at chapter 9 of Matthew, verses 5 and 6. Notice this. For whether it's easier to say, thy sins be forgiven thee, or to say, arise and walk. 
but that you may know, may know what? That the Son of Man has power on earth to forgive sins. He saith to the sick of the palsy, Arise, take up thy bed, and go into thine house. Look at what he used. He said, you believe I can't forgive sins? What about healing the sick? In other words, sickness and forgiveness. You see, forgiveness and sin go together. Forgiveness and healing go together. He forgives all our sins. He heals all our diseases. And so sometimes there's a place to look and just say, okay, is my heart right with you, Lord? If not, let's get that thing right so I can be healed in my body. Look at Matthew chapter 11. Here, once again, this is what I talked about earlier, but let's read it. He said unto him, art thou he that should come? This is John the Baptist speaking, or do we look for another? Jesus answered and said unto him, go show John again those things which you, have, you hear and see. The blind receive their sight. The lame walk, the lepers are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised up, the poor have the gospel preached to them, and blessed is he whosoever shall not be offended in me. And so once again, this is him. He says, this is me. I'm the Messiah. I am the will of God in motion. I am here to save, to heal, to deliver, and set free. And I've proven it to you time and time again. What's our conclusion? Healing is a blessing. Healing is not a curse. Sickness is a curse, not healing. Jesus came to destroy the works of the devil. In 1 John 3, 8, we read that. He came to destroy the works of the devil. Let's read it. He that commits sins of the devil, for the devil sinned from the beginning. For this purpose was the Son of God manifest, that he might destroy the works of the devil. What did he destroy when he was here on earth? All the works of the devil. Healing the sick. Setting the captives free. Delivering them from demonic powers. Well, my question is, before I conclude, is this. Did he succeed or did he not succeed? Because if he did, wow, if he didn't, we're stuck. John 17 is our closing text. I have glorified thee on the earth. I have finished the work which you gave me to do. Wow. He destroyed the work of the devil. He destroyed the work of sickness. He destroyed the work of disease. He destroyed the powers that bind. And we can go on and on. He destroyed sin. O Father, and now, O Father, glorify me with thine own self, with the glory that I had with thee before the world was. Once again, what does that prove to us? He operated as a man anointed from on high. When he came here to this earth, he operated like the second and last Adam. What did he do? Everything the Father willed for him to do. So no matter who you are out there or what you're going through out there, if you've been one of those that's been touched by COVID-19, like others have and many others have in our area, you know what? There is hope. There is help. There is victory. And even though man is really at his wit's end right now as to what to do, this, what you just heard today, never changes. He's the same yesterday, today, forever, and always. And so, Father, whoever it is that's viewing, I thank you for each and every individual life. I thank you for the sacrifice of the cross. I thank you, dear Father God, for that cross that makes the bitter waters of life sweet. And it's power to manifest in the lives of every individual person and every individual church and in our locality, anyone in any hospital, in anywhere, because you're more than enough. 
And so together as a church family, we join ourselves together in unity and harmonious love, believing that your healing virtues and powers are manifesting in a glorious way, dispelling this evil work of darkness, inviting your glory to manifest in healing virtues and powers as you restore health to each and every one and bind up every wound. Together we agree upon it and give you all the praise for it in Jesus' name. Amen.